Hello and welcome to the Farming Banker Podcast. My name is Jeremy Dutch. I am the Farming Banker. And today I am joined by a special guest by the name of Greg McBride. Before we get into his areas of expertise, his company, I do have to say that the views expressed on this podcast are solely the views of the Farming Banker and not the views of German American State Bank. So, Greg, now that we got that out of the way, you are a registered commodity broker with Allendale Incorporated. You guys are located in Kenry, Illinois. Can you give me a little bit about your background and tell me what is a registered commodity broker? Right. So uh, Allendale is a uh, is a guaranteed IB that uh, we clear uh, our trades through uh, our Dale Bryan, which is one of the largest uh, uh, marketing uh, groups out there. Uh, it's a uh, Probably one, of the, probably the biggest uh, ag marketing uh, groups out there as well. So the way it works is Allendale has all of their own clients, and we facilitate our trades through uh, through RJ O'Brien, which then obviously goes through um, goes through the CME Group or whichever of yep. the uh, of the exchanges that we've got. Yep. Uh, Allendale's been around for about 35 years. It was founded by Paul Georgie and uh, Bill Biederman. Uh, Paul is the uh, current owner and CEO of the company. He's the chairman of the board. Uh, his son, uh, Steve, who's been one of my best friends for about uh, 20 years now, uh, has, is now the president of the company. We're starting uh, to really kind of grow this company into one of the bigger uh, commodity brokerages in the, in the United States as far as it goes uh, being a private company. So we have sure. about 14 14 different uh, uh, branch offices along with our main office in McHenry where we have about uh, 15 to 20 brokers there. Gotcha. Gotcha. So um, tell me a little bit about your background. I know you've got a little bit of the farming background. Obviously that helps when you deal with farmers. Um, give me just a little bit of the background of where, you know, what kind of farm you came from and, and, you know, kind of your areas of expertise, that type of thing. Sure. I've actually uh, had, uh, a pretty well-rounded uh, background when it comes to, uh, to to jobs and everything like that. Started out on my family farm. Uh, most of what we did when I was growing up was uh, raising uh, raising cattle and uh, and baling uh, alfalfa. We had alfalfa for uh, our home farm, and then we did custom baling for everybody pretty much across uh, Lee County, Illinois. Uh, we did some in in Olgo, we did some in Whiteside, but most of it was all located in Lee. And then as uh, um, grandparents had kind of passed away and, and left things to us, we, we started to grow that, uh, that farm to, uh, to include uh, row crops. We did corn, we did beans, we had a little bit of wheat here and there, we had some oats and rye, but mostly stuck with the corn and beans. And we still did quite a bit of uh, custom baling. My dad actually, uh, um, when I went to college, my dad actually told me, he's like, hey, this is not what I want for you, yeah. but he's like, I want you to, you know, kind of go off and do your own thing. But I still came, I still came in and helped uh, throughout uh, my college uh, time and, and then uh, for a couple of years after that. But uh, I got to a point about uh, six, seven years ago where dad was uh, getting to the, getting to that age where he decided, you know what, it's time to, time to cut and uh, cut and run. And, uh, so he retired. That was the end of my farming career. But I had started with Allendale uh, 12 years uh, 12 years ago, and kind of stayed with the whole 
uh, farming industry along the way. So in between that, uh, in between college and uh, starting with Allendale, I'd been a, a computer uh, uh, salesperson selling technology, servers, whatnot, yep. uh, through CBW. And that's how I got hooked up with, uh, with Allendale is that I became their project manager and their IT specialist. And then as we started to need more uh, regulation out of the NFA for, uh, because of the NFA for uh, cybersecurity and all that stuff, we had to farm that out. So uh, I just became a broker about uh, five or six years ago. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, um, so, so within the, 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 you know, what a commodity broker and how you help farmers is, we'll, we'll get into that just a little bit, but what, what, what areas of expertise, how do you, how do you, that you have, how do you help farmers? What type of clients are you looking for or what type of clients that you help and deal with? My, uh, my bread and butter as far as clients goes is, uh, is the farmer that raises anywhere from 200 to, to 10,000 acres, uh, of various crops. Uh, most of what, uh, what I work with are, uh, corn and bean, uh, producers, but I do have quite a few, uh, cotton, wheat, um, and, uh, various other, uh, uh crops as well, but, uh, uh, the main ones are going to be uh, corn and beans, and then I've got a few uh, a few feedlots that I work with, and a few uh, hog producers that I uh, that I work with, whether it's the actual producers themselves or uh, custom feeders as well. Gotcha, gotcha. So, in 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 exactly what you do, and in, in, you know, on on my side of you know being a banker, I I evaluate risk. I try to um, look at you know risk out there, mitigate it. You, in, in, and I guess not so many words, you help a farmer mitigate risk, correct? Yeah, that's the, uh, that's the biggest thing that we do when it comes to, uh, working with our, uh, with our farmer clients is trying to figure out how we can, uh, manage that risk that they have. The biggest risk that they, that the farmer has is that crop that's either in the field or in the bin. Once it's, uh, once it's out there, we want to make sure that we cover any downside uh, as far as prices go, because if you look at it from the most simplistic way, that corn or those beans or however you want to look at it, whichever crop you're doing or whichever animal you've got, that's your paycheck. Yep. So if when you harvest your corn, if your corn is worth $3.80, but we're in a, in a point where prices typically go down during that part of the year because either we've got a big crop uh, the demand cycle is not necessarily there. We could see prices go down. We want to make sure that that 380 stays in your pocket rather than it being 350 six months down the road or even worse, uh, down the road. Yep. Yep. And you know, you, I know you, Greg, you and I have talked about this a lot, um, in past conversations, even some of the past podcasts, but you know, for the, just for the listeners here, you know, on, on, on the side of, you know, risk and, and how you work with the bank and, and what we're, what we're doing here. One of the things that you and I have talked about is that, you know, doing something and, and, you know, whether that's on your side or on my side of the table, a lot of the times not having a plan or not doing something or even having, having certain benchmarks or triggering events can, can end up really hurting you. And, and so, you know, I, I think that's a, a great spot where you could come in is that even if you don't want to make you know, cash sales, you know, you can help um, come up with some form of plan that helps somebody like me feel comfortable that at least some action's taken, correct? 
Right. Absolutely. And when you think about it, the, the cash sale to made to the elevator, let's say you make a cash sale right now against the bushels that you're going to have in three months, five months, six months, whatever it is until, uh, until harvest, you're, you're, you're liable for those, those bushels. So if it's, if you've logged in a hundred thousand bushels and you only produce 85, 85,000, that means that you need to cover those extra 15,000. You, you're getting your checkbook out. Yeah. We don't, a lot of farmers don't like to to be uh, don't like to have that uh, that liability on their on their hands. So what they do is they'll call somebody like me and they'll say, "Hey, I'm going to produce a hundred thousand bushels. I'm going to go ahead and lock in. I know I will do at least fifty thousand. I'm going to lock that in with the uh, the elevator. What do you think I should do with the other fifty thousand? And that's where I come in and we start to build a uh, a position based on each person's individual risk tolerance. Some people understand if I if I sell futures at four dollars, I know that I've made those sales at four dollars. Wherever the price goes, you know, yep. obviously we can't do anything about the basis, but wherever the price goes, yep. when I do end up selling it, I've at least covered that downside. On the other hand, you can work with uh, with options which carry less risk, but they don't have as big of a reward when it comes to the Covering the downside. So if I were to buy, say, a four dollar put, but I spent ten cents, my floor then becomes three ninety rather than four dollars. So I've I've given up ten cents, but I've I've limited my risk because if the market does continue to go higher, it's not going to hurt me like it would in the futures where you're where you're liable for penny for penny as it goes against you. Yep. Yep. No. And, and so I guess that's a good lead in, you know, maybe we'll get to uh, ag economy after this, but I think, you know, we're on this topic. I think that's a good lead in to, you know, op- options and services. I mean, what are they? How do they work? How are they different than, you know, your cash sales, you know, that, that you would make as a farmer? You know, I, I know you guys at Allendale have been starting to do a little bit of the, the education series. Can you give us a, a brief overview of that? Yeah, there's uh, there's different uh, tools that we have uh, at hand, similar to the way that uh, that an elevator has different tools. Whether you're talking about uh, um, accumulator contracts, or you're talking about HTAs, or strictly uh, cash sales, or um, basis uh, contracts, or you name it, we have uh, we have similar tools that we use. Um, whether it's a futures contract, where we are one for one with the movement in the market. Uh, that means that you are fully liable for every penny higher uh, or against you that that position goes. You're also making money for uh, for positions as it goes in your favor. Um, what you can also do to mitigate some of that risk and lower some of your risk is to to mess around in the options. You trade the options. You buy a put, which will cover the downside. If you buy a $4 put, anything below that put is in the money for you. But it's not going to cost you any extra money than more than the premium that you put down for it. So, yep. like I said, in my example before, the premium was ten cents for the put. It's only going to cost you that ten cents plus the commission fees to cover the downside. Whereas if the market does continue to go up, let's say that if the market goes up to four twenty in between us buying that four dollar put. You don't owe me that extra twenty cents. Whereas a futures contract, that's exactly what you would do. You would owe me that extra twenty cents to make to maintain that position. You're not actually owing it to me. 
you're owing it to the people that have the money behind the account, and they want to make sure that you keep a certain amount of margin into the account to hold that position. If you can't keep that money in the account, they will ex- they will make you exit that position. Yep, and and for, you know I I have a very Greg a very limited understanding is is obviously it pertains to you know things that we do around our farm and what I've learned from you know talking to other farmers on the banking side of it. I mean when you talk margin, I know I know a lot of people freak out about that 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 specific word has caused a lot of heartburn within farmers, bankers, and and all of the alike. But you know realistically margin. Is the value of the contract, am I, it, right? I mean, it, it's somewhat yeah. of a percentage of the value of the contract. Right, exactly. So if you if you look at just an, an easy example, and I, I, I continue to go to corn because that's the biggest uh, the biggest one that uh, we trade. Plus, uh, I'm going to guess most of the the clients that you have and most of the people listening, that's the biggest thing that they're going to have. Yeah. So it's an easy it's an easy one right now. Uh, the margin on a corn contract is about a thousand dollars. So you need to hold a thousand dollars in your margin account in your in your hedging account to hold one position of corn, which is five thousand bushels. Yep. Now, if that if that uh, if you were to sell that at four dollars, you sold one futures contract at four dollars, and that that contract went up to four dollars and ten cents. You'd have to add another five hundred dollars to your margin account to make sure that you can keep that position on. The yep. margin will stay the same; it's a thousand dollars. But the your because you're behind by ten cents and every penny is fifty dollars. Yeah. Ten cents equals five hundred. You need to make sure that you have that extra five five hundred dollars to cover that position. Then, as the market moves down, let's say when we get closer to the expiration of that contract, uh, we're sitting at three dollars and seventy five cents. Well, you sold that at four dollars. You just made yourself twenty five cents. Yep. That five hundred dollars extra that you had put into it, plus the thousand that you originally put in as your your hold for that uh, position, goes back into your account plus the extra twenty five dollars or twenty five cents that you would put into the uh, or that you would collect it out of the uh, the position itself, which you know twenty five cents is is going to be uh, what's that a uh, $1,250. Yep. Yep. So, and, 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 you know, so th- th- this is a, this is a good point. And this is something where I think, I, I think the ag population in general at times misses this. And, and it's not, you know, you, you say, um, you know, you, 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 you the, the, the example that you just gave there and you made 25 cents. Now we still have as farmers, we still have open bushels to sell. But what we're hoping to do with these options, and please correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I want to kind of lead us down this path to fully understanding is that we, we may see that, that, that a DEES contract is, you know, let, let's just call it 360. And so if we sell, if we sell a, a, a DEES cash contract at 360, but we've made, you know, 25 cents on our options, then, then we, we're probably, what we're doing is we're trying to, protect the unsold portion to get back to a certain break even level that, that or, or or a certain return per bushel that we're trying to maintain and even though we sold you know the cash we sell the cash part below what our our option was the the premium that we made on the option plus the cash is trying to get us back to where we feel we're wanting to be whole is that correct right right and in a normal year 
when we, if we were to do an option, we would, and it's the same way with futures too, is we, we're looking for a target where we, we know that we can, we can lock in prices and it's going to lock in a, uh, what would be a profitable position for that farmer. And, and it's different for everybody because, you know, just going down the road, uh, 15 miles, it's going to be a different basis because yep. of a different, uh, different elevator or you go to Iowa and it's going to be a different basis because of the, where they sit in, uh, in relation to a major river or a major, uh, rail line or something like that. So it's different everywhere you go. You go out to the East Coast is going to be actually an above basis where they're paying you an extra 75 cents to a dollar for that corn. But those are not the big farm. Those are not the big corn farmers out there either. Yeah. Yep. So that's the that's the thing to think about is that when you start to to look at the at uh, at prices out there, um, when we are sitting in a situation like we are right now, where we are severely below the cost of production, I started to look at uh, what I could do for my customers, and I don't hold out a lot of upside hope. And this isn't just, this is me being as honest as I can. I'm not yeah. going to blow a lot of smoke and say that we're going to like 450 this year. Yeah. It's a different year than last year. And this year we've had all sorts of problems with, you know, originally it was China. We got the phase one trade deal done. Then the COVID hit and destroyed uh, crude oil prices and, and in turn hit the ethanol and hit corn. Well, it's just, that's something that as I'm looking at prices, I think we can only make it up to, and I'm just going to throw out a number. This isn't what Allendale says. This is just me saying, yep. I think we can take new crop corn from this 340 area back to about $3.65 to maybe $3.75. Well, if you think about where that is, that exact spot, depending on how much you yield, might be your break even. Yeah. For most yep. people, that's actually going to be below your break even. Yep. Yep. So what that does is I have to say, okay, what can I do at that point? If we get back to this 365 to 375 area, what can I do to at least have you come out break even? Are we selling futures at that point? Are we doing a combination of selling, uh, selling cash and selling futures or some combination of, of options out there? And that's where, um, each person's risk tolerance is, is different. If I were to talk to you versus I talk to one of your other customers, you know, they, they could be where they, they only want to buy a put and they say, okay, well, if I produce this, I know my break even's at 360. I just need to make sure that I have 360 on the, on the board and then I've got the downside covered. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So, um, before we wrap kind of this little segment up and move on to the, you know, the outlook type of it. So you, you had talked about a put. Um, I, you know, I know there, are, there's puts and calls out there. Are there any, you know, can you real quick just list the, the kind of the, the, the most used or most common type options out there? Yeah. The most common type options are, uh, simply buying calls, buying puts. Selling calls, selling puts. That's as simple as it gets. When you buy a put, you want the market to go down. And as the market goes down, you're going to accrue, accrue money. Yep. That is an unlimited, uh, an unlimited function. So if you had a $4 put in December corn, 
and corn went down to two dollars and fifty cents, you've got a dollar fifty in that uh, in that put. Yep. yep. Okay. It's the exact opposite when you buy a call. So if you buy a call, let's say you buy a four dollar call, you want that corn price to go up above four dollars. You can get if we were to take it to four fifty, you'd have fifty cents in that call. Yep. Okay. Yep. That's an unlimited thing. So if it went to five dollars, you'd have a you'd have a full dollar there. Now there's the other side of that, which is selling the call or selling the put, which is a limited reward but infinite risk. Yeah. And that's where that's something to really keep in mind, right? <laughs> limited risk. <Yeah, that's, laughs> that's 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 here's here's what that means. Basically, if I told you I was going to sell a four dollar call. I would collect a certain amount of premium from that uh, from that position. So let's say it's worth 15 cents. I collect 15 cents. That means that if I were to to expire and be assigned a uh, a futures position at expiration, I'd be assigned a futures position at four dollars. But I collected 15, so technically my break even is at four dollars and 15 cents. That's correct. Yes. That's yep. for most farmers. That's not a bad thing. You've sold $4 corn. Technically, you've sold $4.15 corn. But if we're sitting at $4.85, you now have 70 cents that you're, you're on the hook for. Yeah. And that's where it can get a little bit, uh, a little bit dicey. And that's where some people can get a little squeamish when it comes to, uh, to margin and all that. But what you have to remember is why you, why you are okay with selling cash. Or selling the board at four dollars and fifteen cents because that means that you've made a profitable sale on the uh, on the future side of things if you were to expire and be assigned a futures contract. Yep. The yep. same can be said though if you sold a put and let's say you sold the four dollar put because well let's use last year as our example prices were going to the moon everybody thought it everybody thought prices were going to five fifty or six dollars. We didn't plant anything. Turns out we planted too much, and you sold a four dollar a four dollar put because it was never going to come back. It was never going to come back down. Yeah. Now we're sitting at three dollars and thirty cents or three dollars and twenty cents. If that market continued to go down, you'd be on the hook for that eighty cents, that seventy cents, or even that dollar if it continued to go down. Yeah. And at the at expiration of that put. If it was below your strike, which is $4, you would have then bought corn at $4. And that's where it's, did you sell corn beforehand? Or did you, are you still holding corn? Now you double own corn. You own yeah. it on the board and you own it in the bin. Yeah. There's a lot of risk out there. Yep. And that's what, that's my job is to help you understand where your risk comes in. And how to mitigate that? Just just like you uh, you said earlier, is mitigating that risk. That's exactly how we have to we have to come up with it. Because these things all work. Sometimes they just work in in different ways, and you need to make sure that you understand how they work for yeah. you or against you. Yeah, which you know, I, to be honest with you, Greg, the little bit that I mean, I say a little bit, but I think we've I mean we've known each other for I don't know if this is going on our fifth year or fourth year. You know, it doesn't doesn't matter. It's been longer than you know thirty days in my so <laughs> you know 
Uh, the, the one thing that I admire about you, you know you and, and the folks at Allendale is that you do have a very good look at mitigating risk and, and doing doing it within the risk talents of the producer. And, and 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 it goes to the point that you had just made, and, and we talked about this on your podcast with me, is that you know being a trusted advisor and, and helping and actually helping people you know do the right thing. Um, you know, giving ideas, you know, with their certain situation as to what, what can work, what can help limit risk, whether it's, you know, your risk being that you're long, uh, because you have a ton of, you know, ton in the bin or, um, you know, you just don't have any sales out there. Who knows what it is, but you guys, I, I think you guys do a really good job of, of talking through all those scenarios and trying to, trying to find the right strategies for that farm. So. You know, it's a little bit of plug for you guys and, and, and Steve and everybody over there as to what you guys are doing. So I appreciate the time um, going through that because I, I think that's something that we throw a lot of terms around loosely, but whether or not we all know what those terms mean, it, you know, you clarifying some of that really, really helps. So I'm going to try to bring this up uh, in the last little part of this uh, podcast, put you on the spot. Maybe it's not on the spot. Who knows? But, you know, let's talk about the ag economy. We know that, you know, markets are below cost of production right now. You know, how do you and Allendale interpret what's going on? And, you know, what's, I guess, what's your guys' outlook currently? Well, it's, it's difficult. Uh, the, the biggest thing right now is, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of concern about whether or not uh, some of these, uh, some of these farms are going to be in business next year. Yeah. Some of them, you know, by the end of the year, that's the, the biggest concern. And, you know, we can't really do anything about, uh, about prices because they are what they are. But if we get a chance to, to lock in some prices, just to, even if we're, even if we're locking in a loss, if we can at least help to maybe offset some of the more uh, excessive losses that we could see later on down the road because let's face it things happen as you move through throughout a, a year you know yeah. you, you harvest uh, in in the fall sometimes a little bit further into the winter than you want to um, but by the time you get around to renewal season with your banker and you start to uh, dial in uh, prices for inputs and, and, and all that stuff you need to be selling uh, selling grain, and that's where um, you may sell at a spot where it doesn't you don't like it. It may yeah. be a lot worse than you want it to be, especially when you talk about anything from the time frame of basically December to sometimes April or May. I mean, typically we start to to seasonally move up as we go through. The first half of planting, yep. but then by the time we get to July 4th, that's about the end of that uh, that cycle, yep. and then it starts to go back down into harvest. Well, let's say you know the best we can do this year is that 365 uh, that I was talking about in December corn. If next year in March or April, when you have to sell that cash corn, and we're sitting at three dollars. That's another sixty-five cents that at least we've gotten some protection there. Yeah, you know, and that's where it becomes a big deal for us. And I know that uh, you know insurance is one thing. You've got insurance, and right now the I think the uh, the spring insurance was three dollars ninety-four cents, three dollars ninety-six cents, something like that. But 
every little bit counts in a in a situation like where where we have this drag on the economy that if we can protect another 65 cents on top of the insurance that you're already getting on top of MFP and any other programs the government's throwing at you that's just more that's just like a, uh, the the chocolate on top of the Sunday basically. Yeah. Well, it's helping us get back to you know is what you had said. I mean, we're right now we're below cost of production, but if we get some small wins and we make some you know some of the right decisions here in the next sixty days, it can certainly help us get back to at least where we're closer to break even or limiting the loss. So yeah, I I, uh, I wholeheartedly agree. Now, you know, in that scenario, I guess, you know, changing gears just a little bit, you know, can you talk on, on, uh, you know, carryouts, temperatures, anything like that, you know, that you guys are seeing or hearing, you know, uh, that, that, that kind of frame up, you know, potentially where, you know, where could we see things going in the next 60 days? Sure. Absolutely. And, and weather, uh, as, as always is the biggest thing that we're going to be watching. Uh, over the next 60 days, if you look at the the current forecast for uh, for June, it's hot and dry. That's that's a stark contrast contrast to what we've had for the last 30 to 60 days. That is right. Uh, so this hot and dry forecast as you go through June is not necessarily a big issue. That's we love heat in in June. Yeah, growing degree days are massive for us. We want to see that corn jumping out of the ground. Yep. You know, they always have the, they always have that saying of, of knee high by the 4th of July. Well, shoot, I'd rather see it, you know, elephant's eye high by the <laughs> yeah. 4th of July. Yep. But we need that heat to get us going. We've had plenty of moisture. There's no question that there's been plenty of moisture across the Midwest. So now, if it does start to dry out, that's, that's not going to be the end of the world. What we'll be watching for is that heat and dryness. Does it carry into say, the first two weeks to the first three weeks of July, because let's face it, most of the Midwest planted pretty quick this year, so we're going we're gonna to actually pollinate a little bit sooner. Corn doesn't like to pollinate in hot and dry weather. Really yeah. hot and really dry weather is not perfect uh, conditions for pollination. And, and almost every year I have customers tell me that the overnight temperatures were too high. The corn never got a chance to really calm down and rest. Yep. And that's going to be the thing that we watch over the next 30 to 60 days is what do we do, not necessarily in June, but what does that, does that heat and dryness go into July and into that pollination time frame? Because if that does, that could knock off three, five uh, bushels per acre maybe? Yep. Well, it's funny you bring this up because, you know, I don't know – how many people listened into your? Uh, I believe it was what you guys do in January, the uh, egg producer seminar, is it, or the annual yeah, seminar? Yeah, the egg leader seminar. Sorry, yeah, the egg leader seminar. And I remember the, the the weather guy that you had on. I know that he was predicting a wet spring, but then turning off and being hot right mm-hmm. afterwards. And it's still, I guess, up to this point, still kind of looking like that. That's what our um, our models are telling us. But I guess my point to this, and, and I think you brought it up, and what I was trying to get to is it. Just because it turns off hot in the months of uh, you know June and into you know the early part of July, we can't rely on a drought, right? Because that that doesn't really, I mean, you know, that, that's that's not our you know those are when we need heat units, and then we'll need heat units on the backside of pollination as well. 
Um, so, you know, another side of it, I guess, is why I wanted to kind of talk a little bit weather is that I know a lot of people are saying, hey, we need, you know, we need some kind of weather event or something that helps spark this corn. But it's got to be pretty extreme because right now it's looking like a pretty darn good growing season. It is, actually. It's, 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 it looks really good, actually. And, and as, as fast as we got out and planted this year, um, things look pretty, pretty solid. And I'm not concerned about a drought. If it happens, it happens. But if you think about it, and you know from, from your farming background too, is that over the last, what, 10, 15, 20 years, the genetics of all these seeds, whether it's corn, whether it's beans, you name it, have gotten so tolerant of water, of lack of water, we, it's going to take a significant drought a significant drought to actually see the kind of destruction that uh, would require us to, or would would spark a rally that takes us up to 425 or 450. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, it's and I and I, I don't like to talk bearish because nobody really wants to hear that, but that's kind of what everybody needs to hear is that yep. it looks like a good a good growing season because the the faucets do turn back on a little bit in August. And then they actually dry out into September at this point. So we go and we grow a, a huge, huge uh, August uh, bean crop because that's when we need rain. Yep. And then we start to dry things out as we start to head towards uh, towards harvest. And that's exactly what we want. We don't want that really wet spring or really wet fall like we've had the last couple of years because that uh, pushes us back further. Plus, you end up with quality concerns uh, later on. Yep. No, this is, uh, it, like I said, it was, it's, a uh, you know, that weather model, um, so far looks to be right on and, and, uh, interesting how some of that shakes out. So I, I certainly appreciate the time, um, going through all of that. Um, anything before we close and I tell people how to get a hold of you, anything else you want to add real quick? Well, I think, uh, the, the, the main message is, you know, prices are not where we want them to be. They may not get to where we want them to be, but the idea is you have to really step back and you have, you have to take the emotion out of the situation. Farmers get married to this crop, like they get married to their wives, they get married to their husbands. They, they love this, they put their heart and their soul into this thing. And sometimes you have to take that step back. And you have to look at things from a very logical perspective and say, okay, this does look better than it did, say, a month ago or a month and a half ago. I need to take a little bit of action. I need to make sure that I am locking in rallies when I get a chance. So there will be some upside here, I hope, and that's when we need to take action on things. Yep. Excellent. Well, as we close here, I wanted to just say thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, how do people get a hold of you? Well, they can get a hold of me at uh, at my office. Uh, it does forward out to my uh, to my cell phone since I'm working from home and all this uh, right now. Uh, that number is eight one five five seven eight six one six five, or they can get a hold of me uh, over email at g mcbride. That's g m c b r i d e at allendale a l l e n d a l e hyphen inc.com, allendaleinc.com. Excellent. Well, again, thanks, Craig, um, and, and certainly would like to have you come on again. Um, in closing, I'm just going to say, uh, you know, thanks for your time. Uh, certainly, uh, again, I, 
would love to have you back on. Hopefully you have time to do it at some point in the future. Uh, I am Jeremy Dutch with a uh, farming banker. You can get a hold of me on my cell phone, 630-569-3536, or you can email me at jeremydutch.me.com. Thank you, and have a good day.